Hi everyone, you're listening to the Vialucci podcast, uncensored and completely unedited discussions about life and everything in it. We hope you enjoy the show. Do you want to do an intro, Charles? Nanu, Nanu. <laughs> Who was that? That uh, was Mork, Robin Mork. Williams. Oh, Mork and Mindy? Yeah. Mork from was he an alien? Yeah, he was an alien from the planet Orc. What, what happened Mork in the last Mork. episode? Did he go back? Uh, I don't know. I think he sort of um, relocated to Santa Monica. Oh, okay. <laughs> was, was that 80s? That was the 70s and 80s. It was actually, oh, Mork was actually a character that was in happy days it was a backdoor and pilot essentially and, and it was actually yeah. it was in happy days and henry winkler sort of met me and essentially it, it became like um you know a bit like boise in only fools and horses it was a character that um basically became very popular because robin williams was like a comedian who's like this manic thing and he, yeah. and all mork and mindy became this um huge spin-off a bit like george and mildred from man about the house you know, like certain characters stand out. But he wasn't literally Mork in Happy Days. He was. He, he was the alien. Well, he, he was Mork the alien. Yeah. Mork was actually originally in Happy Days. Yeah. It was, it, you know, he was a character which was written in by Gary Marshall for Happy Days. And, and then how, he, how, he became very popular. He just how turned up one day and then they started going, nanu, nanu, and being really weird. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise. Very odd. All right. Well, on to the movies. Okay. <laughs> John, you're still one of the, the rising stars in the movie reviews. Great. Nowadays. Thanks very much. Yeah, you're, it's you're, great. And uh, so what are we going to be doing today? Well, we're going to be talking about comedy and horror. Yeah. Mm. Valentine's. The, the, uh, the kind of the lighter moments that's happened. Now, before we start, just to say, this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler um, situation because a lot of the films that we're going to talk about, for me to talk about what we're going to talk about, I'll have to review it. So... Anybody who's listening who's not seen any of the movies, if the minute I enter a thing, just switch off and yeah. then watch it and come yeah. back. Um, what was the thing you were saying you can't say about Halloween Ends? Well, no, with Halloween Ends, I saw it on Friday. And again, it's the problem is, is normally when you watch a film, you sort of set up the film. You set up the film. The problem is the opening pre-credit sequence actually sets it up nicely for everything else. And the truth is, is unless you watch that, there will be people who do a review, but it's it's such a clever opening, oh, right, and okay. it sets up everything else. So that's why I'm not saying too much. What do you mean it sets everything out? The rest of the, the film. The sets, it sets up an interesting take on yeah. the whole Halloween thing, which I think works really, really well. The whole the whole film, and it's it's a very clever way to enter the saga. I mean, some people may disagree, okay. but that's what I think. That's my opinion. That's my plug. Hang on, what do you mean to enter the saga? It's not start. end. Oh, end, end saga. the saga. I mean, not enter end. And with, does the end? Does it end? Well, the it will leave it what you will. The last <laughs> shot. The last shot of the film will yeah. kind of you'll be like, okay, it's. <laughs> but hang on, wasn't the what was the last one called? Halloween Kills. Well, is that the one with Jamie Lee Curtis and the daughter? Yeah. And so it's this, this is the actual, you know, this is the... Um, but the they blew him up that time, didn't they? Well, you know, Michael Myers does... He does... He, what is dead can never die. He just keeps coming you know? back. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. How do, oh, you can't say they kill him at the end of this one. Well, let's I can't be just, watch, just watch it. I can't be bothered <laughs> watching them anymore. <laughs> just, what's the point? He's not dead anyway, so just... Well, this is the horror saga. Has this there been is... any talk about a um, like a TV series like they could do now? Um, I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I think Halloween fans, even the most seasoned ones like me, are actually kind of glad. You know, we we kind of are accepting the fact that it's over. Right. Okay. Although, you know, knowing the way the producers work exactly. in Hollywood, it will print. Money, it's a license to print money, so people know. So, yeah. 
Um, you know, it, it's happened with Friday the 13th, the final chapter. You know, that made more money than they said Sonic will make but, more. But if you call it Halloween Ends, I mean, that's really quite total, yeah. isn't it? There's not much but, room to wiggle off. Well, I, I think the fact that John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis are executive producers, and I think they know... I mean, Carpenter basically is he's in his 70s now, and I think he's... I think he kind of came back to it because they liked what David Gordon Green did with it. And um and I like these movies because, you know, they you know, if you're a Halloween fan you thought, you know, sorry, I'm not gonna listen to reviews. But I mm. I genuinely think these three things are satisfying. Okay, okay. Um right, so what we're we gonna do, top ten, what was it? It's well it's not a top ten, but I just wanted to use them as points of reference. So I'm gonna talk about the actual the wonderfully comic moments. Okay. And I'm gonna kick off with probably the best comedy horror film of recent years. Hold which on, is... let me think. Of recent years? Yeah. Horror comedies of recent years. Anyone in the audience? I've got a big one, I've got a big one in the 80s, and then there's a big one in the 90s. <laughs> well, this I... is actually a more recent one. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so... Go on. All right, go for it. It is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh, oh bloody hell. hell. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. so Tucker and Dale versus Evil is for me one of the wonderfully subversive, hilarious comedy films that actually taps into every single, any key moments in the movie. So this is essentially the flip side of Deliverance. <laughs> and it's a bunch of high school jocks who go into the woods. And at the outset of the film, they sort of see two hillbillies in a truck going round. And they're driving along and they stop off at a, um, they stop at, at a garage station and... I think Dale, who's the like the cuddly one, the bearded one, a bit like our, a bit like Charles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, essentially, that. he's um, he's basically a very shy, insecure hillbilly, and they're also they're off, like, they're off like to Charles. build a house. <laughs> they're off to <laughs> yeah. build a house anyway. So basically, um, he's into pickled eggs and everything else. Charles, and, the, and then he and essentially <laughs> these jocks pull up at the gas station, and he's decided to buy a scythe. So he stands outside with the side and he wants to go and chat to this very gorgeous blonde and says, you know, what, do you fancy going out for a date? And of course he's holding the thing anyway. But it gets even worse because the whole paranoia about hillbillies takes off in wonderful ways. So there's two wonderful moments. Here. The first one is, is um, Tucker is actually trying to use a chainsaw to go and he's chopping a piece of wood. And there's a beehive underneath it. So basically, he chops the beehive off. And then, of course, he starts, suddenly starts running manically towards them. And it looks like Leatherface in the Texas <laughs> yeah. Chainsaw Massacre. But the funniest moment ever is has got to be the wood chipper scene. Yeah. So essentially, um, that two of the hillbillies decide that they, they want to attack Dale, who's basically trying to... And they basically, the woman's... The, the the blonde woman's actually been had an accident and they've looked after him and they're taking care of him her so what happens is is that she says you know to, they're dearly in, doing some gardening in there and he says like, you know well you know maybe i can help you so the girls they're sort of and they they all think he's she, he's dig she's digging her own grave so of course what happens is there's wood chipper starts and they're trying to go and try killing he sort of crouches down the guy goes out and goes head first into the wood chipper <laughs> A police sheriff turns up and they're pulling out the legs and he goes, we didn't do this. And it's just builds into this wonderfully psychotic thing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very wonderful comedy 
mix. And if you're into your horror in a big way, but it's intelligent, it's funny, it's it's gory, it's hilarious. It got a great reaction at Fright Fest. So it's so under uh, underrated yeah, still, even though it's really. done a little bit. But better. it. But my feeling is is, and this is a wonderful bit of news, is that a Halloween film Trick or Treat, Trick or Treat is actually getting a theatrical release. It was home. It was on home video, but Warner Home Video, Warner Brothers are releasing it in limited theatrical release this year, and it's an injustice because thank God it's going on the big screen because it has to be seen on the big screen. It's the best Halloween film since What's Halloween. Ha Trick, Trick or Treat. It's a series of four stories. It's got Brian Cox and a Paquin, and it's it sort of taps into the whole kind of Halloween spirit, and it's it's wonderfully it's about 83 minutes but who um who who was the director for tucker and thing i'll try and remember but I, have they done anything since because it was I, very original i doubt i doubt it but no. i mean i'm sure he, i'm sure they're probably busy working on you know something else will come out anyway so um so that's my first choice next up is the evil dead one and two Okay, yep. yeah, yeah, yep. you're right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Evil so, Dead 1? Evil Dead 1 and 2. So, okay. 1982, 1986 um, introduced the immortal character of Ash, played by Bruce Campbell. Bunch of youths go off to the, um, the woods and they discover a tape recorder which happens to have an evil charm that summons evil spirits from the woods. It's got the infamous rape sequence. And that is a horrible scene, that's a thing. But the truth is, it's the actual humour. When the zombies transform into the zombies, um, it just sort of elevates into the rather incredibly gory moments. So, And it's all fresh-faced. And then eventually, they each of the women go one after the other. So there's one scene where um, they push one of these zombified, one of the zombified things into the fire, and she goes and gets pulled out. He goes, I don't know what I would have done with you if... You would not pull me from those hard coals and then get stabbed with a pencil. But it's, but it's like the extremity of the gore that's actually, I think, what makes it. So at the very end when they, you know, when they sort of throw the, the actual Book of the Dead into there, you know, you know, there's a scene where they all start disintegrating. This is the first one. This is the very first yeah. one. And the, this corpse is standing up like crazy and it goes down and then literally smashes and then blood hits into the face. And it's... It's a very wonderful old school horror film because they had cameras on planks to mimic the woods. Um, the tree rape sequence is actually a very clever thing because you're just wondering how they did that because you know the you know the, when the woman gets in there like that. So moving on, it's Evil Dead Two. Essentially, is a is basically a comedy version of the, the original. So again, it's a, the first five ten minutes of the first five or six minutes is actually a reboot of the actual thing, and then. Ash is then in the woods on his own, on his own, and essentially, um, a relative of the person, the professor, turn, they all turn up, and there's a very funny comedy moment where, when the the the, the zombie is actually in the basement, the head is trapped in the trap door, and he basically whack it, and then the eyeball pops out and flies into yeah. the thing like that. Yep. But the other funny moment is the um, is the possessed hand. Yeah. which is genius which so that, is genius so essentially at one point the hand is like this so of course the hand is suddenly possessed and then ash goes you bastards give me back my hand and then of course it gets into a scene where he's in the kitchen and he's literally sort of being bashed in his head and, and it's it's whacking he's him fighting his own hand fighting <laughs> his own hand and then essentially you know he's being bashed with and then of course at one point he's on the floor and and essentially the um the hand is trying to crawl away like thing in the adams family 
Anyway, Ash sort of chops it off and he goes, who's laughing now? And he sticks it into a bloody sit <laughs> under a bucket and then sticks Ernest Hemingway's a farewell yeah, to arms yeah, on the yeah, top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's, you know, the great thing is, is that, you know, the cheerful, I mean, Army of Darkness, which is the third one, which is essentially takes him into the medieval thing, which is kind of stop motion and it's fun, but it's not evil dead. You know, it's kind of more friendly and there's lack of gore, but it's, yeah. it's actually... It's very, it's very different. I mean, the, the first film is a, is a, you know, almost straight up sort of horror film. The second one is a, a comedy version of that, a straight up comedy version. The third film just kind of goes bananas yeah. and, just, <laughs> and just ends up being having it's, like, it's, battles with skeletons. It's like Harry, Harryhausen's Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, yeah. It's like that kind of thing. So, but, you know, I, I think it has a place in my heart because I like the fact that, you know, this is where the comedy and gore work really well so that's the first well even the, the the physical comedy of that scene is very good considering he's not he, who is he really at that point he does flips i mean the, yeah, the bit I where mean, he yeah. grabs himself and starts yeah. doing flits that's yeah. throwing himself at, like it's incredible like yeah. it and there's a, there's also the earlier scene where his girlfriend he chops off the girl's head and then essentially the girl sort of is in the in the vice and the goes goes you and they, you know the, the the wonderful gory thing anyway and then at one point he's um you're going down. And yes. there's the, the other one where he's speaking to himself in the mirror. And then he's sort of going, yeah, he goes, yeah. you chopped her up with the chainsaw. And then the next thing you know, he's actually in the, he's like this with, he's then yeah. going, ah, and he's in the chair like, ah. <laughs> he just starts screaming. He's just, he How did they two. do that scene where he's in the mirror? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's him. It, no, it's a hole in the wall. Right. And um, uh, Bruce Campbell's through the hole. Yeah. And it's a uh, double. The back of the oh, head. the fake bloke. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's a, so the oh, real guy yeah. is there. And it's it's a well double. done. It's really well. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. The, the, the for cinema, the time, the, the directorial techniques. It, yeah. it did have a bigger budget than you think. I oh. think for the time. But it. But the thing is, the original. The the, but the original Evil Dead was actually expansion of a short called Within the, Within the Woods, which essentially was a 35 minute short. And what it is is essentially it's all the beats of the film. So the same thing with the you know the hand when the hand is the the the. The, the aerial shot of the hand being grabbed and he grabs it when he's coming into the house. So this was a <clears throat> this was actually a, a showcase so that they could prove to investors that they could make a film. Oh. Evil Dead 2 basically was not a big hit in, in America. It actually became big in Europe. Now, it's the most successful video rental of 1983 in the UK. Paris Palace Pictures actually... <coughs> it actually was controversial at the time because it was one of the first simultaneous <coughs> simultaneous film and video releases because it was actually what it was was it was released in february on the early posters which are designed by graham humphreys who's done things like nine elm street it says available on video now the film industry in this country went ballistic because they thought this was going to be a danger to it it's one of those it's it was also controversial because it was a video nasty you know, the, it was one of the pre-VR8 titles. Um, it, it had it had quite a bad reputation. It I had mean, a I, bad reputation for notoriety at the time. So they had a court case where it was declared that it was not obscene. So about 1990, it sort of became, you know, it was released with cuts, I think, at some point. And then essentially it's been eventually released, you know. And I think Sony now own the rights to it. So they've done this brand new Blu-ray version of it. So it's quite weird how a movie with reputation evolves and that's what it does. Just so the, the second one they've done Blu-ray or... Um, yeah, I think, but but again, with, with Evil Dead 2, I mean, Sam Raimi just want, like with The Road Warrior with George Miller and Mad Max 2, he wanted to make a bigger version of the first film. 
So he had more liberty, and then of course it sort of led to Dark Man, and it led to Spider Man, and and the um, and he did a film in 1985 called Crime Wave, which was actually a noir film, which kind of was here and there, but it but also the Evil Dead was also the first film in which Joel and Ethan Coen worked as an editor. You know, the, you know, so the Coen brothers actually came out of that movie. Um, but it it sort of is. You know, for the VHS generation like myself, it is one of the defining moments of our video viewing things, you know. Have you got a VCR still? No. no I any mean, tapes? Have they just gone? No, I mean... I uh, thought you might have a few sort of... I pops. had. Well, I had a few I had a few at the time, but again, it was all rentals because the wonderful thing about the VHS era, and this is what people don't understand, is that although the video nasties are a big thing of it, there's a lot of valid films that are, you know, legitimate things like, you know, Thorny and Mine, Warner Home Video release things like The Wild Bunch and, you know, The Deer Hunter and The Lord of the Rings. And, you know, there's actually on YouTube, if you if you Google, if you search Thorny and My trailers, there's actually a whole bunch of compilation trailers from the time, these ads from 1980. And... Um, I loved all the, uh, I loved all the trailers you used to get uh, like when, at the beginning of the VCRs. Like, yeah, the yeah. You see all these cool trailers, yeah. like you never really got to see many trailers yeah. except in the cinema, but yeah. occasionally on telly. But but the actual thing is, is um, that was the one of the joys of it, because a lot of the people who who sort of had the rights for these VHSs didn't know what they actually had. You know, they you know there were times where you know I, I remember what, watching Kingdom of the Spiders, and you know I remember fast forwarding through the rest of the tape because it was an, an hour and forty minutes, but it was a three hour tape thing. Is there anything else on there? And I remember watching the very first thing we watched, which was forty years ago. Um, this month was the Hills of Eyes, oh. which World of Video 2000, the West Craven thing. But again, um, I remember sort of watching that. And at the end of it, they had a couple of trailers for a thing called Human Experiments and Don't Answer the Phone, which is, um, <laughs> which which is, is this. Trailer. It's a tr their trailers. And is that at the end? At the end of, after the film finished, yeah. they put trailers on. But sometimes in some of the movies, like, you know, in some of the early Universal stuff, they, uh, CIC stuff, there were about four or five trailers before the thing. And uh, yeah, so... Anyway, that's my second choice. Hang on, good to go back to that. But I didn't know trailers were at the end of films. Was that your there was some sometimes they did have trailers. That sometimes on some tapes they said, "Please stick to the stay to the end of the tape because we got some exclusive previews oh, of some brand new titles." Uh, I don't remember seeing uh, that. No, no, they did. Maybe they, I didn't hang on to the they, internet. No, they did know. on Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. One of the VHS he goes. Stick around for an exclusive preview of Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Oh no! And at the end of the tape, they had the original trailer for Friday the Thirteenth Part oh, Three. Okay. Um, so my next choose choice is Beetlejuice. Okay, well, yeah, which yeah. is the Tim Burton movie. Now again, this mid eighties. This is nineteen eighty eight. This is actually, I wouldn't say it's conventionally horror, but it is in a way a horror comedy because again, the plot of this is. Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis have just bought a house in a thing in a very nice suburban neighborhood and they're killed in a car crash. And what happens is they come back to the house, but of course they're in the afterlife. And then this rather despicable family, Jeffrey Jones, Catherine O'Hara and Winona Ryder, who plays the rather morose teenager who's emo, sort of, the original emo, the original emo. <laughs> Um, they're actually, Gina Davis and Ali Baldwin are just don't like the fact that these people have taken over their house and these people actually are okay with the scares and stuff. So they decide to summon this ghost, this with the most is called Beetlejuice and a bit like Candyman, you have to take three oh, yeah. things, Can Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. And then essentially they, they, they come up with all these plans and it still doesn't work. 
So it leads to a very funny moment where they're having a dinner party to the Banana Boat song. So they're all going around and goes, hey, and they're all singing. So the ghosts make them sing. They make sing. So they, it's a day, they, they goes, they like come and we want to go home. And it's just very fun. But then it escalates because Michael Keaton has one of the funniest moments because he says, he goes, he goes, we need to get you out. He goes, yeah, but the problem is if I if I get called out all these times, I'll be doing talk shows and stuff like that. And then it just escalates into into kind of a Gilliam-esque type climax like Time Bandits. You know, you know, Michael Keaton's thing sort of happens in a big way. And then, but but it's actually, it was the film that actually sort of gave Tim Burton his reputation. Because yeah. he'd done Pee-wee's Big Adventure with Paul Rubens for Pee-wee. But this was the movie that kind of... It's a very playful film. Then it led to Batman and then, you know, his Edward Scissorhands and stuff because it was... His, it yeah. sort of set his style a bit as well. Yeah. That, it that is. Was him, that was him sort of... Yeah, but he, but he used... But that was the wonderful thing. It's, it's one of the most interesting fusions of comedy and horror. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a family horror film. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so that's and, and for a mainstream film, it yeah. is it is it is an, it's a real oddity, I think. Yeah, but it's such a left field thing because I mean, at the time when you think of what was out there in 1988, and when we had like Twins, we had Die Hard, we had Midnight Run, um, stuff like that. So it was, you know, coming to America, it was it was kind of a left field entry. That I think this is the wonderful thing. On occasions, a movie will hit the right notes and stuff. So that's my third choice. My fourth choice is Gremlins. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Which is how um, many? How many did they end up making? They've made two so far. Oh, so far. So far. <laughs> Gremlins and Gremlins to the new batch. I prefer the sequel, although everybody thinks I'm sacrilegious. I don't care. I think it's a bigger thing. I love it. I, um, I have to say, I, I like I like the first film a lot. I think the second one is just bon- again. It's like Evil. It's like Evil Dead One and Two. Yeah. Like, Evil Dead One's great film. I think Evil Dead Two just goes nuts with the concept and at one point there's a there's a film break and then it turns out that the the gremlin appears on because they've oh, yeah, actually yeah, mentioned yeah. it so this was joe dante and it was a steven spielberg production it it's kind of divided audiences over the years because again it was released and it was a very odd mix of horror and you know humor and it was a cuddly film because you know, it's you know, it it's a Spielberg film. Again, it was around the same time that the PG thirteen was coming into in its own. I forgot it was Spielberg. Mm. Yeah, it was Zig Zig. So again, Joe Dante had done the Howling. Um, and again, this is it sort of divides people because at the time it, you know, you had in Christmas eighty four, you had the Ghostbusters camp and you had the Gremlins camp. Gremlins was given a fifteen in the UK. So it restricted it. Although a lot of the time the promotion was based around cuddly toys and kids thought, oh, could we go and see it? Of course they couldn't because it was a restricted yeah. category. Ghostbusters actually won the day that day, that day. Although that's kind of gone up in maturity. I think it's gone from a PG to a 12A because of, because of some of the, the things in that movie. Ghost, Ghostbusters is scary. I don't know if it's on your list. Oh yeah, no, that, it, it's no, is legit well, scary let's actually let's tap into that because the interesting thing is, is one of the shocking moments in that film is actually when the ghost decides to give um, Dan Aykroyd <laughs> fellatio. Yes. So there's a scene where there's yeah, a dream. The bus, there's a dr- yeah. There's a dream sequence where basically Dan Aykroyd's on the bed and he's sort of looking up and this apparition appears and then all of a sudden his his trousers are pulled down. His belt really? is undone. Belt's yeah. undone. Yeah. And you can and then all of a sudden you see him his eyes cross. And it was a very funny sequence in the cinema. I mean, everybody, it's 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 the standout moment in it. But of course. When you t- look at it again, you're thinking, 
is this a kid's film? <laughs> yeah. it, it is a very strange... And, it was the and 80s. It, it just, it's one of those things, you're like, yeah, okay, ha, ha, ha. But then actually upon thinking, you're like, wait, how does... It, and also the physics of it. But it's a great... I mean, it's a great fusion of visual effects because it's... The, the wonderful thing, it's a wonderfully wonderful moment because again it's it's sort of when their the things are going off and stuff and then you have things like gozer i mean the sequence in the library when they discover the at the new york public library and then it sort of switches a bit like you know like the raiders of the lost ark you know the apparitions at the end of raiders and they transform into mm. things and runs out but this is an interesting thing about the the line of you know humor and and horror that works really well um, and it works quite, I mean, in Gremlins, for example, you know, you have the Gremlin in a blender, you have the fact that they don't, they don't heed the morals of the Chinese guy. They buy this pet, mm. you know, don't feed them after midnight. And then of course they've, um, you know, the Gremlins have actually sort of turned off the, the alarm and he said, oh, it says eight o'clock. And of course oh, yeah. it's realized it's after midnight and then it sort of erupts into, you know, into there like that. I mean, it's as it's actually reserved, it's actually referenced in the hangover by Bradley Cooper about Zach leaving the car. He goes, he's like a gremlin. You know, he's all these rules. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with gremlins, it's, it's such a unique film because, um, you know, the actual place where it takes place is the same square they use is actually used in back to the future. So the same square, oh, it's, right, it's yeah. actually used in the same thing. So, and you know, it's, it's kind of got references to it's a wonderful life. And, um, you know, Zach Galligan, who did come over for a few screenings and did a Q&A at these screenings at the Prince Charles. He's a nice, nice guy. Um, but it, it's sort of, you know, they're, they're, it's a very dark movie, you know, because you're never quite sure how to categorize it. Is it a kid's film about cute animals or is it an adult film about, you know, where horrible things and it's a moral tale? Again, yes. Again, because it has the trappings of a Christmas film, of a sort of family film, of a... Uh, uh, and it has cute uh, uh, monsters, and it's a bit zany. And when even when the the gremlins get get bad and stuff, they, they're still it's still a bit wacky. You know what I mean? Like in tone. But yes, there is. It's again. I remember watching it when I was a kid, and it was scary. Like I've, I've, I've just like, oh, this is this is quite great. It's quite yeah. quite graphic. You know what I mean? It's quite surprised. And the other thing as well is, it's like the when the gremlins are sort of transforming. There's actually a moment where they're a bit like the eggs in Alien, the alien chamber. Mm. You know, and you see these weird things where it's, yeah, it just goes yeah, up yeah. to the roof or something. It's yeah, it something goes, like yeah. that. But there's like the thing where they, you know, they, you know, they're in the bar, for example. You know, they have that whole sequence where they're they're running rampant in the theatre and stuff. But it's it's a very, it sort of divides people because I think people get really. It's an odd. Oh, we're not. I don't it's know. A very, yeah, there's two. The, the last two the, again. They're, they're really odd films. I don't know if you, they're the type of thing I, I think you'd struggle to get made now. If you were coming up with this concept now, yeah. because I think that you people would say, "Well, where's the audience? Who's this? Who's this appearing?" Well, there's less yeah. cocaine around amongst the directors no, but, now. <laughs> but that said, but that said, the the thing about it is, is because you had Spielberg who kind of was tapping into it because he had a very dark, you know, he was coming off the coattails of ET and ET. You know, if if you make the most successful film of all time at the time, you know, you've got a lot more power. Yeah. It's like James Cameron. You know, he's he's about to release the next Avatar movie. And again, if you if you have, you know, because the bottom line is box office. And again, it was a hugely successful film in 1984. It actually is. It actually hit the UK top ten in 1985. But it again, Ghostbusters sort of, you know, that you know they all there were critics saying, oh, well, they're going to lose a packet because it's a 15 and stuff like that. I think it's a 12 now. I think Gremlins has sort of been re-categorized down to 12. Did the second one come out as a 15? 
second one was a 12. I yeah, think. it must have dropped down yeah. to get the money. But it's but the thing is that that second one's actually a lot more cute. It's more fun and you know when they when they go in the office cuz it's actually John John um um John Glover who plays he actually plays this Trumpesque. Yes. Because it's a Trump clamp. Tower thing clamp, clamp yeah. and so oh, yeah, yeah. Clamp and tower. um yeah. and it just it you know it, but it, it you know these movies when they work they're well I thought that I can remember one of them with the lipstick on and like it was like that a, was a dress. One, yeah. I was like oh no Lady no. Gremlin yeah. Yeah. But didn't they? She was smoking a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. Well. yeah, but I love it. They they cut to them and they're all wearing suits. And they go bye bye, sell sell. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> so um, oh, no. so that is my choice, fourth choice. Now I cannot I cannot do a <laughs> list of comedy and horror without including, but of course, American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Nice so smoking. this again was a um, bit of history about this. This was actually written by John Landis when he worked on Kelly's Heroes, and basically, what film is this? Seventies. It's American Wheel from 1981. Oh, 81, okay. And essentially, John Landis was a flunky on a film called Kelly's Heroes with Clint Eastwood. Mm. And how it worked was, was a lot of people, um, you know, basically John Landis was treated like shit by the people on Kelly's Heroes. But there was a stunt guy called Alf Joint who worked on um, things like Superman and stuff. And Vic Armstrong was his protege. Vic Armstrong, of course, is one of the most famous stuntmen in the world. He's he's done second units on Total Recall, and he actually doubled for Harrison Ford and actually saved Temple of Doom because Harrison Ford injured his back, and and a lot of the the action is actually done as Vic Armstrong doubling. So Alf Joint was treated... John Landis with respect and then when he got round to making American Wolf in London he then made the movie so this is um, about two backpackers David Norton and Griffin Dunn who are walking through the Yorkshire Moors are they Canadians? Are they... they're Americans oh Americans okay and they stop off at a pub called the Slaughtered Lamb and of course they walk in there and, and it's the classic everything stops you know, so stop yeah. and then of course he says and then there's like a evil cross on the wall and stuff so Cut long story short, they're sort of walking through the woods. One of them, Griffin Dunn, is attacked by a werewolf. J.V. Norton ends up in a hospital in London. And essentially, he starts having these paranoia dreams. One of the most, one of my favorite scares in this film is actually when he's sitting at home with his family and the door knocks and all these yeah, mutant, mutant zombies sort of... <laughs> they Nazi zombies. Nazi, Nazi yeah. zombies. And then he, his throat gets slashed. And then Jenny Agatha, who plays the nurse, who nurses back to him, he goes, I got something for him. And then she opens the curtain and the guy's in there snapping him like that. And then he starts, and then Griffin Dunn, who basically is increasingly dis- dis- disintegrating, says to me, <laughs> Falling apart, you're yeah. turning into... Oh, he's dead you're, mates. You're, yeah. you're, yeah. you're going to turn into a wolf. And then, of course, we have the famous on-screen transformation. One of the best still today. Again, it's one of those things you watch and you're like, I watch it recently. I just watched that clip recently uh, for some reason. Yeah, still holds up. I was like, how the hell did you do that? But it it also has the thing when the very first time he wakes up and he's just returned to normal, he's actually sort of walking around and of course, he's totally naked and he says to this kid, hey kid, can I have your balloons? He goes, I'll, I'll treat him. He goes, I don't want the balloons. So, of course, he, there's this quick shot of him running across frame where he's sort of got nothing but the balloons and then he does it. And then it sort of does that. And then, of course, the climax in Piccadilly Circus, which was shot yeah. over two nights, and they actually sort of planned it. And they actually shot it. And then within half an hour, they'd reopened the, the room. So... 
The actual bus driver who in the car when the bus driver crashes, that's actually Vic Armstrong in the in the, oh, in the thing. So they 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 actually planned it up. Pine, I think it must have been Pinewood. Planned everything coordinately, put everything together, then filmed these other two things. Had people ready to clear up all the glass, and it was working again. It was phenomenal. They only had two nights to shoot. Right, it. Yeah, because a lot of cars on the sides and things in Piccadilly Square. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's that's the thing about it. When you look at um, you know, when you look at um, when the logistics of shooting in London, it's like, well, how can you do? You know, yeah, Piccadilly you know, Square in the centre of circus. Oh, circus, yeah. Um, so it, it's for me, it's it's one of the most wonderful blends of horror, horror and comedy because you you it's playful, and I think that's one of the rules of these horror films is that you have to be playful with the audience, what they're going to do, and and stuff like that, and um, and it also has great horror and and stuff like that, and it's probably one of the most humorous things because it's, and what's also refreshing is that the wonderful thing is it's not Hollywood England. John Landis very wisely yeah, yeah. uses British actors yeah. in British situations. Yeah. So when they're going across the slaughtered lamb, it's not like some some studio like a rendition of an, an English village in California, which is what they did the Adventures of Robin Hood. That's all shot in the California yeah. Yeah. forest and stuff like that. It's genuinely in England, and you have actors Jenny Agatha, you have John Glover, you have you know a whole variety of things, and it's just done. You know, and that's what I like about it is the fact that it's, you know, it's a it's a British, you know, they've done it in a very British way. And they did film at London Zoo, didn't they? Isn't that yeah. where he wakes up yeah. in London Zoo? Yeah. So that's my fifth one. Um, I'm going to bring in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2. As a comedy? Yep. They're both comedies in a way. They're, in a, they're very dark comedies. because the, se- the sequel, certainly. Yeah. Yes, but the, but the original, interestingly enough, if, if you watch it again, there's actually very interestingly, very funny dark moments of humor. This is why I think it works well, because it's basically a family of brothers who are basically, um, because of progression, are actually put out of business because they worked in a slaughterhouse. Right. So they they dealt with meat and and cattle, and then they got clo- then the thing got closed down, and now they sort of have humans for meat. Right. Okay. So when you first see it, you think, okay, this is quite a dark thing. It's quite ter- It's quite intense. And yeah, I haven't seen it for a long time. So you're gonna have to remind me. So go on. Oh, so in a nutshell, it's based on the legend of Ed Gein, and it sort of plays out. So there's a date, August the eighteenth, nineteen seventy three, and then they goes. It's all the more tragic that they were young. So it's five youths in a in a camper van who basically are driving around and they're off to visit their old yeah. house. And they break down and run out of gas. And then basically two two of them break off and go off to this house because they want to get some gas for their vehicle. They meet Leatherface. One of them gets hit with a sledgehammer. The second one gets impaled on the meat hook. A third one goes off to look for him, gets bloody hit again. He gets put down and he's done like that, which leaves Sally... Marilyn Burns and Paul A. Partain, the wheelchair-bound Franklin, and of course she, he, they go off into the woods, and Leatherface kills the wheelchair hitchhiker, and then essentially it's the final girl, which is thing. So it's a fellow in the wheelchair, in it. Yeah, fellow in the wheelchair. Okay. Um, why I want to tap into the humour is the funny thing is it's they invite they basically tie up Marilyn Burns and she's actually terrorised, but it's actually like a dinner. The dinner party scene is... is I can remember them is sitting actually, around, yeah. And, and, the, and, there's a one, and there's a wonderful <laughs> moment where when Sally is being chased, Leatherface is... He, he actually chops the door. And then the Jim Sider, who's the, 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 the pup, who's basically the big brother, he says to me, you fool, you ruined the door! <laughs> and, it, and again, it's like the... 
But the, there's another thing. At the, as the climax of the film, when she escapes and she's being chased by the hitchhiker, there's a sequence where this black trucker comes out. And, of course, the funny thing is he comes in and, he's, and of course, he's, he's sort of just got out there. And then Sally's come toward and Leatherface comes around with And he sort of... And what I've noticed that's the audience is they all crawl back into the, the truck and everybody's laughing because it's... And it's also when... Um, when Sally's being chased and walking around, it's like the, it, the, the whole thing is, is that they, everybody's laughing at Leatherface. And now you're not meant to because, you know, for God's sake, five people have been dead rather rather viciously. I mean, it was rejected by the BBFC in, you know, in 1975 yeah. and for 25 years it wasn't available. But there is intense moments of humour. And that's the thing is that some people, if you're not a horror fan, if you can get beyond the gore, you'll see moments of humour because it's actually about families. It's about family tension. You know, which is what these movies are. In the second film, again, it's more ridiculous because, again, you know, they're, they're now driving a rolling roundup grill and they're winning competitions for their award-winning chili, even though they've admitted that they're using, they're saying, got, got prime cunts of meat. Well, it's the meat. and um, But it's also got a very ridiculous scene where Leatherface is sort of taunting um, Stretch, played by Caroline Williams, and he goes... And she's going, how good are you? And she so didn't. And of course, he suddenly gets Hang like... Hang on, say that again. So, the level of the face is what? The level of the face has, has a... He, fa he, has, he has a crush on this DJ. So, I'll go back and I'll explain, right, yeah. the, I'll explain the plot of Chainsaw yeah, Massacre. Yeah. So, at the beginning of the film, there's two um, jocks who are riding around and they're taunting this truck. Yeah. Which turns out to be driven by Leatherface oh, okay, and his brother. Right. And Stretch is actually having a phone call with him. Stretch. Stretch is the DJ played by Caroline Williams. She's she's brought Between the DJ. There's she's a DJ. DJ. There's, a, There's DJ. a radio station. Oh, There's oh, a radio station. Okay. Yeah. So she actually records the last moments of these two jocks being killed on the road. And Dennis Hopper, who plays Lefty Emright, who happens to be a relative of Sally and Franklin from the first film, has been pursuing relentlessly the Leatherface family for years. And he says to Stretch, I want you to play the um, recording on live. And then Leatherface and his brother Chop Top turn up at the radio station and run havoc. Oh, okay. They then go back and they've got this um, they've got this theme park called Namland, which is like an underground thing, which is a wonderfully designed thing. But you then get, but it's a more ridiculous film because you then got Dennis Hopper who has two chainsaws like pistols yep. and he's, and he's actually going to a chainsaw store and he's going like this and he's trying to, and he's, he's treating them like guns and stuff. And it's, it's double chainsaws. Right. Double chainsaw. So it, it sort of climaxes and there's a huge chainsaw battle between Dennis Hopper and, and, and yeah, I haven't seen it. I've just really haven't it's, seen it. It's bonkers. Right. Yeah. But it's, but it's actually one of the best horror sequels I've seen. And I think you, again, it's more extreme than the first film because the gore, which is done by, um, the gore, which is done by Tom Savini. I mean, it went out and raced it in the United States. And again, it, it was it was an, uh, unavailable in the UK for 15 years. It never got a release until 2001. So it didn't tone it down to try and get a rating. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not that bad or intense. If you're a genuine horror fan, you, it's not that bad or intense an experience. I think the problem is if you, if you don't like gore, you're not going to like it. It's a horror film for God's sake. You've yeah. got to enjoy it. So you, you, the, the extremity and, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of fascinated and with Tom Savini, who's done legendary stuff with George A. Romero and Friday the 13th and Rosemary's Killer, AKA the Prowler. 
you know, he's he's is he legend, you know, that you know, but the wonderful thing is the gore, you know, what's interesting is that less gore actually makes it much more shocking than actually more gore. You know, if you think about it, so if you if you take well st let's go sideways, is in the Omen, it's like the scene where Lee Remick is actually thrown over the banister and she falls to the ground. Mm. The most disturbing moment in that is actually a close-up of her face and you see blood dripping. That's more that's more kind of uncomfortable to me than it is with in the Evil Dead where they go big on the gore. Because it's much more psychological, it's more suggestion. Um so that's that's the thing, that's what I think is the interesting thing is that when when you have people being pulled apart in a thing, it, you can't really take it as seriously because you kind of know it's all prosthetics. If you take the thing, for example, what makes the spider thing work so well? It's not the spider thing business. It's actually David Clennon's reaction when the thing's crawling along and he goes, you've got to be fucking kidding. Because <laughs> yeah. the that's that, the audience's response. Because, as well. the funny, like, because the funny thing about that sequence is, you know, the thing has some incredible moments. You know, I think the, you know, the first thing with the dog transformation when they discover the, um, you know, when um, Bennings gets transformed and the, again, the, you know, the gore, you know, the actual bits are falling along on the ground and he's been taken over and he's on the chair and he's being consumed. Mm. But the spider thing moment is actually the, you know, the wonderful thing is Rob Bottin's way and I watched the re making of it and how he used that, you know, he used a lot of interesting things like, um, you know, like, you know, there was a lot of, you know, to get that thing of the thing pulling away from the body. You know, there was like, you know, use this kind of interesting prosthetic stuff. But again, when, when the, when the thing sort of expands and then you just, it's in the background in the fading and it's crawling along, you're looking at it. And then David Klein goes, you've got to be fucking kidding. And everybody laughs at that moment because again, you've, that's where the balance happens. You know, it, it's, it's sort of offset with great bits of humor and then you're back into the thing and then you think, right, that we can have a bit of relief, but then you're getting back into the next intensity and, mm. And, and that's the thing. That's the thing we sort of set up and pay off as that. It, like comedy comes from tension, and so it's not that dissimilar from sort of a horror movie. You know, suspense and the scare, and the sort of and, and the, the release of so go oh, yeah, and the release of a laugh. You know, so they they, they sort of is overlapping the yeah, mechanics yeah, of how works, that works. Yeah. yeah. So what have we got next? Okay, so next is that. Well, it's it's slightly different, but I kind of it is in a way. It's more of a dark horror comedy, but I do think it has moments of mints, and it's Heather's. Okay. Right, I haven't so, seen it. So, go on. so Heather's is a very dark high school satire. It's 90s. It's 1988. Yeah. And it's actually Christian Slater and Winona Ryder. Yeah. So it's set in a, a school called Westerberg, Ohio. And... Where's Heather's come into it? He you're not... Okay. okay, so Winona Ryder is Veronica Sawyer, and she actually falls in with three Heather's. Heather Duke, Heather Chandler, and Heather McNamara, played by the late Kim Walker, Lizanne Falk, and Shannon Doherty, who was in Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills 90210. So essentially, it's it's your typical high school thing. And essentially, you know, they're having like, the, the Heathers are going around, the, 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 the cool girls. The mean girls. The mean yeah. girls. It's, it's a forerunner of mean girls. Yeah. So essentially, you know, they're going around. And then, of course... Christian Slater's just arrived and he's J Jason Dean, JD, and he's sort of sitting in the in the cafeteria, just minding his own business. And there's a couple of jocks, Kurt and Ram, who basically go up and he goes, let's kick his ass. 
and he goes up to they go and he goes answer him dick and he goes he goes you know do they have a no fags allowed policy and then christian says yeah but they do have an open door policy for assholes and he goes what do you, what do you say dick and he goes up and then he pulls out a gun with blanks and but the dark comedy comes from the fact that um heather chandler takes veronica so to a party and there's a bit of an argument and then basically veronica has a desire to actually you know sort of do something bad once heather chandler to puke her guts out unfortunately christian slater put some drain cleaner in the like he, he puts out a thing called i think it's milk and orange juice or some like or soup and then basically they she picks up the wrong cup and Heather Chandler drinks it, and basically she dies. She sort of goes down. Why does he put drain clean? Because he's a psycho. He wants. Oh, right. to, he, he's, he's basically his his father and him who basically have a desire. They want to blow stuff up. Oh, what they're nuts! Joseph. So of course, Christian Slater says, you know, you can fake Ch Heather Chandler's and starts making suicide notes. So everybody starts doing it, and then it sort of escalates, and she Veronica sort of starts playing along. So it's a bit like Bonnie and Clyde. They're you know, that they're, they're kind of, um, you know, it's kind of got a 50s kind of James Dean rebel without a cause sensitivity about it. But it's a satire about... We're crossed with the Breakfast Club. Crossed with the Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah, I thought but we it, had that feeling. But it actually, again, it's kind of the antithesis of the John Hughes thing at the time. Because this was a time when you had, like, the John Hughes, the Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, some yeah, kind right, of yeah. wonderful... 16 stuff. Candles. 16 it? Candles. And this was quite vapid because that's not the reality of high school. It certainly wasn't... You know, I mean, I was a very, you know, I didn't really enjoy school anyway. But again, it, that's the reality of it. This kind of people going to the prom and, you know, you know, and you all look great and the kids look great. And, you know, we're all going to live happily ever after. And you're, all, you're all confident and like not riddled with self-doubt. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's again, it's, but it's more about, it's got very sensitive things. To, it actually is more relevant today post columbine and also with the issue of sandy oh, hook yeah. and stuff yeah. it actually taps into like the feelings of mental health it taps into the idea of um you know it deals with like taunting the obese kid and stuff like that although it's not a film about school shooters because there isn't a school shooting uh, in it but, but it, it is but, a but there is i mean but they there do is try and but blow it up, one, because basically christian slater like what they do is like curtain ram basically taunts they did a. They went to a field to tap cows, like him and Heather Duke, and essentially um, one of the jocks sort of spread, start spreading a vicious rumor around about Veronica saying that I had it off with you in in the field, and then she, then basically him and Christian Slater sort of she lures Curtin Ram to a um, field, and basically Christian Slater shoots him, and he, and she uses got these Zick Luger bullets, and of course they're real bullets. And so it, it sort of escalates in a way. And then basically there's, they're sort of in there with, um, at the funeral. He says, you know, my son's a, my son's a homosexual. My son's. So again, it, it's, it's also discomforting because today, for example, at homophobia and all this other stuff, you have to go into it with a kind of balanced sensitivity and you've got to remember it was made at a different time. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't make a film like Heather's today because it's, that's the the whole uniqueness of it is the fact that it was made at a certain time and it still has relevance. But you've got to be mindful yeah. today. You've got to be wise. Where you've got to you've got to kind of think because today, for example, we're in a woke and cancel culture thing, and you know, like for example, you know, if you have, you know, it's like anything. If you made a high school satire about black kids and stuff like that, 
you know, but you'd also have to make sure that it would have to be black writers who can sort of tell that language and say that language and you'd have to work at it and you'd also be mindful of it. You know, with LGBTQ, for example, and trans and all this other stuff, it's it's not an easy thing to do. Well, a, a film can be about homophobia or racism or, or any of these because of negative things without necessarily being like a film could be about racism but not necessarily racist, uh, racist film. Yeah. But uh, it's but it's a delicate balance. You have to be sure. And I, I think this is why with a film like Heather's, which is why I brought it up, it's although it's a high school thing, it does deal with very dark moments. And it's a dark, it's a comedy and horror. The horror is actually the psychology. The horror is actually people dying. Yeah. You know, Winona Ryder said that, he said the problem is, is people think that suicide is called. That's not what it's about. It's the actual, because if you, if you delve into it, you know, people start talking about it, and that might be something that touches off a spark to actually cause you to do the dirty deed. And it but it's a very it's a it's a very honorable film, but I, I think you have to you have to remember that again, it was a very daring film. I think it's a very interesting film for people to watch anyway. So Right. So what's the next one? Well, we're gonna talk a bit about Halloween, the original. Because that does have fun moments of humour in it. I mean, they're, I can't remember it. Go on. What would be the hell? What would be the homo- so? There's basically um, Tommy Doyle. There's basically two kids, Tommy and Lindsay. I mean, Car- Kyle Richards, who plays Lindsay Wallace, the young girl. She's actually in the new Halloween as a bartender, oh, right. and she's nice. She's nice, but she's she was a cute kid at the time. So there's a essentially what it is. There's moments in the film where Nancy Loomis, who plays. Um, Annie, she's basically just been off by Michael Myers. And essentially, they're watching the monster, they're watching Forbidden Planet, all the thing, you know, I mean, Laurie Strode is babysitting the two kids. So the two kids are watching. Anyway, Tommy Doyle gets up and goes to the curtain She with the intention of scaring, the intention of scaring um, Lindsay. And then, of course, he's looking out the window and Michael Myers is carrying the body of Annie around. <laughs> so, of course, Lindsay comes out and, and all of a sudden he gets scared and he goes, ah! <laughs> and the other one is, um, the, the other one is, um, there's another very funny moment near the beginning where just after Michael Myers has escaped from the um, the penitentiary and, he, and he's sort of going after him, he goes, and there's very funny, he goes, and and the doc, there's a fellow doctor saying to Donald Pleasance, he goes, he goes, Haddonfield's 150 miles from here. He goes, he doesn't even know how to drive. He's doing very well last night. Maybe somebody gave him lessons. <laughs> and then there's another funny moment where they have the kid, the old Myers house where the, all the dirty deeds and there are kids who are going up to, um, you know, Lonnie and some friends are going up. And then Donald Pleasance is actually standing in the grounds. And of course, he's he's gone up to him and he goes, Lonnie get your ass away from there. And then the sheriff sort of taps Donald Pleasant on the back. So there's kind of a double red herring, but it's also the fact that the fun of it is, is, you know, about the boogeyman and, and you know, there, there are really nice interest. I mean, it's a scary film, but there are f- moments of humor in the film that mm. I think work really well. And, um, and again, you, you see that in, you know, things like nightmare and Elm. I mean, nightmare on Elm street has some very funny moments in there. So at the very beginning you have, um, you know, where they're sort of meeting up. There's that very funny moment where um, Johnny Depp is sort of playing, having a phone call. And of course he puts the sound effects thing on. And of course he goes, there's a big bat and there's screams and stuff. He goes, we're over by the airport. There's a, and it's, a, you know, those tapes of sound effects. 
and of course he can't play it and stuff like that but again the you know the later freddy freddy films were actually much more fun you know yeah, so yeah, yeah. nightmare on elm street 3 for example you had the moment who loved the person who loved television she goes it's your big break and tv the tv grabs and whacks you in the head and then you, you you know so but freddy became a caricature of a scary character he didn't have the relentless of it it was always done with humor mm. so from uh, probably from not part three to part five onwards they were all very the very much the humor of them was more about the humor and you know you kind of were as, as the villain took a bigger role as well you know what i mean as because yeah. because that's the thing is with a lot of them like you jason Voorhees, not a lot to work with there yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be honest but yeah. like as uh, people people really liked uh uh freddie so like they would just say so he basically became the star star yeah. yeah so what's the next one um well we're going to talk about another carpenter one because again i do like the playfulness of this one and that is the fog Oh yeah, uh, the John Carpenter okay. version, which, which not it, necessarily. Uh, I would think. <laughs> not, again, I can't not, remember yeah, the humor. In comedy, it. comedy. But there but, are, uh, but there are some. Uh, there's one or two very funny moments of humor in it. So, for example, at the very beginning of the film, there's um, the um, basically Father Malone, played by Hal Holbrook. He's sort of sitting in his office in the church, and John Carpenter, in a cam rare cameo, as Bennett comes and he goes, he goes, Father, I'm done now. He goes, Bennett, thank you for coming um father can i get he goes mate i want you to come in at f could you come in at four tomorrow and he goes yeah he goes father can i get paid he goes maybe you should come in at six <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so but but the actual thing is the my my other favorite moment in that is actually the um there's there's a lot of fun moments in it which i think are really cool the second one is actually there's a trawler called the seagrass which has gone out to do the fishing and basically um Stevie Wayne, who's the DJ who works up at a lighthouse, is sort of giving out the DC. He goes, Ahoy there to the people of the seagrass. Please keep an eye out for that fog bank. And of course, one of the sea crew members goes, He goes, She ain't kidding. There's no fog bank. And then the next minute, you cut to a shot through the window, and then the fog bank, he goes, Hey, there's a fog bank. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's also the, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing is it's kind of like the, you know, there's, there's moments when you, it's also the banter between Nancy Loomis and Janet Lee in there where, you know, um, as Kathy Williams, she's organizing the big um, ceremony for the statue, which is to celebrate the hundred years. Essentially the movie's about a, a town that's sort of celebrates in hundred years and all these people come together. Um, so the, the, the wonderful thing about this is it's, it's a very good horror film, but also it has some, uh, it's probably one of the most funniest thing, darkly humorous things. Anyway, I, thinking about it, I, yeah, I, I, I thinking about it, yeah, it, it's quite playful, isn't it? In, the, yeah. in some of some of the sequences and the way it deals with the horrors. It's and sort of, even though it's about the fog, I always thought it was a bad name for it. I don't know why, just let it down. Because it's a quite a good film. I thought it could have come, but it's the fog, so it's hard to get round. I don't know what the, there was but no it, other option. I don't know what the other option is. But I love it because it's um, the fog. It's probably the most beautiful horror film I've seen of recent years. It's you know, there's a wonderful shot where. Where little uh, Ricky, who's the kid who discovers the coin, he sort of travels. He's he sort of picks up the coin on the thing and and it transforms into a piece of wood from the ship, the Elizabeth Dane. And then he's running back along the the beach. And then there's a real wonderful shot of the house where they live, where you get the shadow of the clouds going over the top of the thing. And it's a beautiful shot. But Dean Cundey's cinematography is excellent. It's it really adds to everything in a big way and stuff. So, right. So what's the next one? Um, well. The, the next one is Psycho 2. 
I can remember I the first have, one. I can't remember. The I have not seen any of the sequels, to be honest. I watched yeah. a bit of the series. Well, that was on, but, well, uh, so, okay. So, Psycho Two takes place. It's actually a pretty good one. I would highly recommend it. What year was this? Made? This was 1983. So, so, what was the gap between the two? 22 years. Yeah, I was going to say. It was so, in a nutshell, the story is: is 22 years after he gets incarnated, he gets incarcerated in the prison. He's released and deemed fit to return to society. Okay, so he basically goes back to the Bates Motel and people are still, there's people, somebody is actually out there trying to, um, trying to sort of make him crazy again. Mm. And again, there's like, like nice bits of humor. So for example, Meg Tilly, who plays um, Marie, Marie, this girl who actually works at this diner, which Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates actually as part of his rehabilitation, he goes to a local diner and, and does. And so he's actually trying to rehabilitate. He's trying to rehabilitate. And people are trying to make trying, him. Yeah, so they, they're, they're, uh, they're, yeah. leaving, they're leaving notes, you know, apparently they're leaving notes allegedly from his mother. They leave Bloody him at hell. the diner and stuff. But there's a very funny, there's an early sequence at the very beginning. He goes, he goes, why, you know, listen, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I mean, why, why would they sort of employ me at a diner? goes why would they employ her not to work as a designer he goes and then Meg Tilly goes well I don't know it takes her not to work there <laughs> yeah. but it's but again the playful thing about it is is the you know you know there's it's sort of what makes it an actually a really clever sequel is that actually it is it sort of embraces the fact that we're in a different time compared to Psycho I mean Psycho is the granddaddy yeah. of all horror films but it's only based on free moments you know there's in the original film, you know, there are dark moments of humor in there. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, the, the whole thing is, is, is ironic. I mean, the whole, the whole thing of killing off, spoiler alert, the whole thing of killing off your main character, you know, yeah. is, is, an, is a sort of a, a, but, a narrative, you know, meta but, ironic. But the thing joke. about the, the original book of Psycho, again, that's the whole point. Marion Crane is killed early on in the book. And the difference is in the original book, which Robert Block wrote, she's not stabbed in the shower simply. She's also decapitated. Mm. So in the scene, so in the scene, basically it goes, it was the knife that a few months later cut off a scream and her head. And that's mm. the actual thing. So it's, but Alfred Hitchcock actually said that it was his dark, it was a black comedy. Mm. Psycho was a black comedy because yeah, it's, yeah. It's dealing with you know the the final sequence. It's it, it's you know when when Vera Miles discovers the um, the corpse in the basement, and again she's in the movie in this one because she wants Norman Bates incarcerated, and she turns up at the the courtroom to say, oh, what about his victims? Can you restore them? But there's a real, and at the very climax of the film, um, we sort of discover that there's a lot more to this that, and in some ways, because you haven't seen it, I'm not going to okay, reveal yeah, this but all I'll say is there's a very, to those of you who are out there, you'll, you'll know what, what sequence I'm talking about. The climax, you'll know the very end of the film and there's a very funny moment in it. And it's sort of, it's a bit of a revelation because you'll, you'll understand it. So I'm going to let you do that. It's the, okay. it's the same actor, Norman, but, um, Anthony Perkins. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. Um, I might give that a watch. He actually, he, he, there's a third film that he directed as well, which I oh. did see recently. Which again is, um, which is all right. I mean, essentially, it's it's about a about a nun played by Diana Scarewood, and of course, he's trying to revive the, the cycle. But of course, things get a little bit darker, and he's sort of, you know, again, it, it's it sort of goes a bit left with. It's not bad. It's it's an okay film. All right. So what's the next one? Um, well, I I'd actually sort of go on from that. I mean, I'd also like to include Fright Night. 
Yeah, yeah. So both yeah, versions. Yeah. So there was the there was the Roddy McDowell film in 1985, and there was the Colin Farrell remake recently. So in 19 in the 1985 remake, there's a kid who's obsessed with horror films, and the vampire has moved in next door, played by Chris Sarandon. And of course, he gets paranoid about the fact that there's a there's a vampire moving next door, and of course, that he starts witnessing things. And you know the classic thing of things yeah. not believing him. So Roddy McDowell is a talk show host, a host of horror films, and he ropes him in to try and seek this vampire. And the playfulness of it is, is it, it's kind of playful. Like Roddy McDowell, he goes, "I am. Are you? Would you like an autograph and stuff?" He goes, "No, no. I want you to help me kill this vampire." And Roddy, and then of course Roddy McDowell turns up, and of course he's sort of bought into the fact yeah. that there's a thing. It was written by Tom Holland, who did Child's Play, and also wrote Psycho too. So it was both. Um, you know, these were these were the films that came out from this. I mean, I think Child's Play can be a comedy as well. You know, that's the other thing as well. Mm. Um, I'd also like to mention Day of the Dead. This is the George A. Romero third film. It's a comment. Uh, yeah. There are no, but there are moments because of the zombie bub who shoots. Right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Who basically, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, right. And again, it's um, again, it's the funny thing is about there's a doctor called played by Lip Joe Carter. <laughs> Joe Carter. Well, there's like Richard Liberty is basically what he's doing, and that's the funny thing about it. He's giving these zombies rewards, and it turns out that right, he's yeah. using the guts of like Marine <laughs> of day, soldiers. Day, yeah, dead soldiers. But there's but the but what I think the great thing is the darkness of the film is actually what I like about that film is the intensity. But there's dark humor at the heart of it. I mean, Dawn of the Dead, for example, is a is a is a take on consumerism. Mm. You know, I I don't rate Dawn of the Dead as much as it because I think the midsection it just stops dead, and once they're locked in, you can't do anything. Although that said, the the um, the remake the, the the remake actually works very very well, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. So, but yeah, I mean, there's um, I mean, there's other movies. I'm trying to think. What was the one the 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 German folktale like the Grinch? Do you remember? You oh, know? about the Father Christmas one. Yeah, is it like Clampet? Cla Krampus. 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 Yeah, that 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 was quite good because that starts off as quite an is an overly family film. Like it's it's quite jovial. Yeah, yeah. And the whole way Troll through. Hunter. It, Have you seen Troll Hunter? Yeah, they're very Troll good. Troll Hunter was yeah. pretty good. Yeah, it's surprising. Well, yeah. just to let There's you know, Troll Hunter well, too wasn't there. So I want to sort of shout out about a movie I've just seen recently called Krat. And Krat is an Estonian horror film. Okay, Krat? How, how does one spell K it? Krat, K-R-A-T-T. Yeah. Now, this is the is tale... Is that a name of a monster or It's something? the Krat... I'll tell you oh, about okay. it in a minute. It's a movie I've just watched. It's actually quite clever. What it is, it's about a couple of kids called Mir and David who actually are going to a... Um, they basically are left with their grandmother to work on a farm. The subtitled film. Subtitled yeah. film. And essentially, it's the usual thing. Without your phones, you're dead. Can't do it, okay? So in the nearby forest, there are environmentalists trying to stop this sacred forest being them. There's a sacred ground where there's a church on there. And basically, they they discover this book in which they can make a crat. And all a crat is is something that does your work for you. Right. Oh, it's like a golem. It's like a golem. So essentially, they sort of build this thing, and then of course, all hell breaks loose. It's a brand new movie; it's just been released. It's it's sort of um, it's sort of just come out. So that's that's a recommendation I do. And it's hang uh, on, is that it? You got to tell us any more about it? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm oh well, oh, okay. I, I, I'm just I'm just sort of mentioned, dropping in things. Honorable right? mention. There, there honorable mention. Honorable mention. Hang on, yeah. but give us something more. The crap they they make a. Wish. It's like a cross between the Tin Man and Forky in Toy Story Two Four. 
<laughs> mean okay. nothing there. You'll <laughs> understand it. You'll understand it. It's a bit. What they do is that a bit like the A team. They take they take all these homemade things and turn it into this thing that looks like bloody Forky and the bloody Tin oh, okay. Man. Right. Okay. Watch it and see. So what's it out on cinema? It's on VOD, digital VOD. It's Which sh- one? Do you know? Um, I I think it was released on October the fourth. Okay. On Amazon. Crat. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was it. So that's what are you going to be doing? What's happening with your fright fests? Uh, well, I did the fright fest in two thousand. The new one is out in at the end of in the last thing in um, the last week in October. October. Oh, okay. Um, as I say, fright fest this year went down really, really well. They had Terrifier two as one of the main films, although I didn't see it. Argento had um, had his new film Dark Glasses and stuff like that. He's still making films. I was going to say, can't be the same fella. Oh, he's, right. yeah, he's wow. well, he's. He, I don't think he was still alive. Yeah, yeah. No, he did do. Um, he did come over for the for the events anyway. But he's, I actually bought a copy of his um, his translated um, biography, Fear. Uh, so it's over at home anyway. Cool. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I think I think people should. We was talking. I was going to say earlier. I think we should buy up a lot of physical um, um, entertainment now before it. Because I've got a funny feeling in the future. It's like what you're saying about the Heather film. I just worry in the future things are going to start getting edited retrospectively online. You know, things getting taken out. I think we should buy these. Disappear. There, there are lots yeah, of films yeah. now you can't get. Unfortunately, you know what I mean. There's lots well, of stuff that they, what was, streaming. Was, who took 1984 off the bloody? Was it Amazon? You couldn't get 1984. They took it down. They had to put it back up again. Yeah, they took it off. Oh, well, the book. Yeah. The, 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 due to pressure they had to put it back up um, okay and that just stayed that was about five years ago and that stayed didn't they and they weren't doing it like as a PR stunt I know I don't I know you can't get the Turner Diaries on Amazon but what's I, that I know the name that's that's the that's the uh, far right handbook basically that's like a mind camp sort of uh, kind of it's a fictional story but it's oh, really right. it's kind of extreme And um, yeah but I'd like to talk about these films I think you never know in the future I think you should buy buy physical comedy uh, physical films I think, uh, but I think this is what's going to happen. I think, like with, um, you know, I think physical content. You know, the idea of these collectors' editions. If you look at Arrow, for example, their special editions of their classic movies, like Heather, Heather's, was actually an Arrow release, which has been remastered. I think there's there's something about okay, so you can buy something online. I've got I've got stuff on YouTube movies and and Amazon which I've bought because it's nice because sometimes those films aren't available and physically, and also it depends on the cost of actually releasing them physically. So if you have a rarity of a film, you know, I mean, for the more knowledgeable people, it's fine. You know, you have yeah. that movie and you want to buy it, you can seek out and buy it. But the majority, but the majority of people will think, well, look, I've got like nine ninety nine a month for like Amazon or Netflix or Disney plus. And what I've noticed now is that sometimes there are films that are appearing on, you know, old films that are appearing on Disney plus that are, you know, like Disney have got like access to like, warners and and disney and fox and the great thing is there's a lot of these classic films turning up so there's a back catalogue i mean paramount plus for example warners have got their own thing as well i don't know if sony or um you know there, there's a lot i'm of, surprised they haven't jumped on the uh, the bandwagon yet uh, well so. i'm sh- i'm sure they will i think that yeah. it depends because you know, reviving these libraries, it sort of keeps these things in, in visibility and stuff like that. And what were the old, um, do you remember the old, is it Abbott and Costello? Abbott yeah. Costello, what yeah. was it like, Wolfman? Or was it was Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman, Abbott and yeah. Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I, I haven't seen those movies for a long time, yeah. but again, they were, you know, they were fun at the time. And, um, you know, like I think um, Bob Hope did the Ghostbreakers and stuff, which was a forerunner of, I mean, those movies were a forerunner of Ghostbusters because Ivan Reitman, who sadly died recently, um, you know, these, these were kind of like, that's what they were aiming to do with Ghostbusters. They wanted a mix of, they wanted to take, you know, Dan Aykroyd wanted to take this wonders of science and actually include humor and do it in an interesting way that was more contemporary. Um, so I wonder if those Abbott and Costellos you could watch them now. I think you could. I think it'd be like Lauren Hardy's. They still... are, they're, they're probably still, they're pro probably still pretty good today. Probably I mean, got them on YouTube, I'd imagine now. Well, actually, if you want to talk about, let's, let's talk about an obvious choice and one that I should have brought up. Go on, we'll end on this. Carry on screaming. Oh yeah, oh, okay. come on, yeah. Okay. So again, that was um that was that to me is another wonderful element of it because I like the fact that um you know there there's there's classic moments in that movie like um you know, for example, Harry H. Corbett and and mm. and his and uh, Peter Butterworth, they're coming along and they're you know, it's done to the tune of Yeah, Zenkars. they turn up on the cart with the noise yeah. the music of it. And then um <laughs> and then there's course then of course there's like odd bod, you know, like yeah. and then and then of course um the the other classic moment is um I mean the other moment is where they're talking about you know what we've got here and he goes he goes so what do you think we got here he goes they're, they're sort of writing out things so he goes he goes um he goes what have we got he goes well I think it's foul play so he writes down foul he goes anything else well I I think it's the feet so he puts down feet he goes anything distinguishing things or smell Goes, what's the verdict? Something horrible. He goes, foul feet smell something horrible. <laughs> but there's also that famous moment where Jim Dale turns up and he, and Fenella Fielding's on and she he goes, she goes, Do you mind if I smoke? Yeah. And he goes, Yeah, and then of course she starts smoking <laughs> like that. But there, there's the other one where when Fenella Field um wakes up um wakes up like Kenneth Williams, he goes, he goes, what time is it? He goes, March. He goes, you weren't supposed to wait me till September. <laughs> and actually when he dies at the end, he goes, oh, frying tonight. <laughs> oh, you dropped him in the oil. But, it's, it, but again, the great thing about what made that work, a bit like with Life of Brian, they actually used the original sets from the Hammer films. Okay. Oh, okay. So, that, so for example, on, um, on like Carry On Cleo, what Peter Rogers did was they actually used the original abandoned sets from Cleopatra. Right, just to give it some weight. Really? So the, this is what, because at the time, what happened was Cleopatra was actually going over budget from Fox and basically they decamped to Rome. So they had all these sets left standing. And then Peter Rogers thought, I know what we'll do. we we'll do Carrie and Claire. So they, they actually used those sets. That's good. So actually on Life of Brian, they actually used the abandoned sets from Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, wow. So that's <laughs> what they did. So it, it, it was very clever because... Life of Brian was actually not really, um, you know, Life of Brian, which in a way does have a horror moment, but it's done with humor, which is actually they're all being crucified. But then, you know, they sing always yeah. look on the bright side yeah. of life. There's the stoning, <laughs> the stone sequence as well. So I love that film, but I just, if it wasn't for that bloody alien bit just plonked in there uh, that's just, oh for the love of god that doesn't the, fit it doesn't but, work but did you know that george lucas actually asked um terry jones about it? he said he goes how much did the cost you to go about 15 quid because <laughs> he because he yeah, was so puppets. because the funny thing he was so impressed but right but again it's um but again carry on screaming i think for me is again it's it's probably one of the best it's one of the best carry-ons yeah, yeah. but it also i, I think it's the best again. fusion of um and then of course the um you know like the um the bit where I try to remember. Oh, like Daniel Dan, the lavatory man, like Charles yeah, Audrey, yeah, yeah, and, they got, yeah. and then they have the finger like that. But that uses some 
that's actually using like when when the thing John Pertwee's in this as well as a doctor, and he actually sort of they put he puts the finger into a um into it like a regeneration and the the whole thing comes out and then Obbot appears. So, um, well, what's happening with the next twenty eight days film? Is there any movements on this? I've been I waiting for am, years. I am probably keep on eye. I'm on it. probably not sure of what's going on with a because I'm not a fan of twenty eight days. Although oh I did come see, on, what didn't you like about it? One of the greatest no, I, I, horror I, I, films. I remember it, but it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't my. It, okay. it, it, it's sort of on my back burner. Anyway. <laughs> right. I, I don't like fast zombies. I'm a, oh, okay. I'm a slow it's zombie man all okay. the way. <laughs> I'm more modern. Nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Well, uh, thank you very much, John, and uh, we'll see you next Thanks, time. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye, everyone.